thing that a lot of people might not understand is that these aren't decisions made by developers. This isn't like buffing or nerfing a pulse rifle and deciding, oh, how much damage this should do, or a grenade, or, you know, just nerfing something in a lost sector. This is accounting. This is Bungie's bottom line. This is tens of millions, hundreds of millions of dollars. Like, and that's the only thing that I don't like is that. You know, like, you know, like when you're when you're like starting as a content creator, you like there's so much stuff that you wish you could have had and right. equipment and sponsors. And then it's like when you get when you get an audience and start earning some money is when the free stuff starts coming. It's, it's so backwards. And you see people talk about it all the time. <laughs> yeah. like, oh, YouTubers oh. getting free stuff. It's like it is. I mean, I guess it's how the world works, but it is right. it is really weird how like some, sometimes you find yourself getting so much free stuff. And it's kind of like, where were you like earlier on? <laughs> I wish I was getting like, this much know, stuff earlier on. When, when I paid like 10 grand to start my <sighs> setup and buy everything, it would have been real nice to just have had a little nudge through the door. I know. Like, I'm not asking for much. Some ram sticks maybe would have been nice, you know. I guess that's I, how it works. You've got to gotta, yeah. you gotta you, you prove who you are first for the companies to come around. But yeah, it, it is really uh, weird how you see like people that can afford stuff are the ones that get the most free stuff. It's kind of strange but yeah it's it it's the weirdest combination of rich get richer yeah yeah that's how the world works anyway welcome back to another episode how are you doing today bye thank you for joining me oh thank you for having me again i am oh man uh it's been a busy week in this uh season hasn't it and yep, let me tell down. you oh man uh i don't know if i have enjoyed the grind in destiny this much mm. why is but, that yeah i've you know, it's it's a mix of the fact that I think the activities that we're being asked to grind actually have a ton of rewards now, uh, and there's tons of new things to chase, but also it's the fact that there's just really cool stuff that is going alongside all of those activities. I, I, I know I'm probably the only one who's doing this, like, everyone is going to sit there and they're going to be like, yeah, new grid skipper! Meanwhile, I'm just there at the start of the activity being like, oh, I've not heard this line from Mithrax yet. Ooh. I mean, I was there the entire... Um... I'll be interested to see how many people like did this, but in the um, in the scourge of the past area, with all the fallen dialogue, just listening to every single scandal. That was honestly, I mean, the whole intro to the season is probably one of my favorite intros ever to a season. Mainly because yeah. you know I love the fallen; they've always been my favorite enemy in Destiny, or well, I guess not even enemy anymore. Um, but I don't know it's just like it, it. It felt it did feel almost like an expansion in terms of just the just the cutscene and seeing the Mithrax and the fallen and. I mean, we've talked about in many, many episodes uh, about the idea of like Frenny Fallen and the House of Light and this alliance. But I'm honestly surprised how quickly they, how quickly they did it, and especially into like a into a seasonal story. This is something that you'd, I guess, you'd imagine in Destiny Three, and it does also definitely seem like the story of the seasons is picking up. Like you know, running a, a running theme of all these of, of all these podcasts, we always talk about how. The story in Destiny is probably the best it's ever been right now. Mm. You know, there are many other yep. areas. There's Crucible, there's the loot, there's the grind, there's the core activities. You know, those are all debatable and many people have many different opinions on those. But the story, the, the lore, the narrative is still unmatched right now. And, and I would say it's probably at its best. Like last season was very good, season of Chosen, but mm -hmm. this season especially. What, what, what are your thoughts on the, on the story, story so far? So it's it's so delightful for me as the the one who became the story guy uh, in Destiny's YouTube space. You're in a very good having space. a moment, 
Yeah, you know, it's, it's a fantastic space to be in right now, but it's so nice having gone through all seven years of Destiny's history and having gone from literal uh, Twilight story was better than yeah. Destiny uh, memes existing and being reposted constantly to Reddit to now everyone sitting there and anxiously awaiting next week's mission so that they can see where the story goes and what cool tidbits of information get revealed and all the different stuff here and there. And that, for me, is so gratifying. You know, I, I feel like Captain Holt when he screams out, Vindication! <laughs> you know, like, it's, 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 we've been waiting for Destiny to really hit its stride in story terms. It's coming full circle. And, uh, yeah, absolutely. And I think that ever since Season of Dawn, honestly, Bungie has picked up their storytelling game. But I feel as though now, with the Season of the Chosen uh, and with the uh, Season of the Splicer, they're really picking up on a formula that I think works, you know? It may be one of those things where, as per usual, formulas tend to tire people out if they've been done too much, but the general kind of formula that they've made for these story-based expansions and how people are seeing everything go down, it works simply because of the fact that it's a narrative that is coherent, it has its proper fucking pacing for all this stuff so you have an actual beginning middle and end mm. which it sounds really basic but lots of destiny stories lack that um <laughs> back in the day and you, and you have a core tenant of strength throughout all of these which is really interesting characters leading the way you know so in season of dawn way back when about a year ago actually a year and about five months ago you had the really key interesting characters of saint 14 and osiris really pushing forward all of that story stuff and then, you know, you keep moving onwards, and now you're sitting here with the most recent two seasons, Season of the Chosen and the Season of the Splicer. And in Season of the Chosen, it's a whole cast of characters, but they get to play off of all the different aspects of uh, the Cabal stuff that's going on. And so you have this cast of characters with a range of opinions, right? You have the people saying as Crow and Amanda do, that, you know, we should be looking to try and ally with the Cabal to a certain extent, and, you know, they're not as bad as they seem. Lots of them are just sitting here and trying to play a bad hand as best they can. All the way down to the extreme opinions of people like Lord Saladin, who are like, we just need to wipe all these guys out. <laughs> like, no mercy, no, we, 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 we won't sit there and Very let this happen. We've seen what happened in the Red War. And then, uh, you know, after everything was said and done, uh, they did the same thing in Season of the Splicer, effectively. But what they did was they brought uh, Mithrax in as a genius way of creating a sort of Keitel plus in that sense. It's not to say that Mithrax is intrinsically better than Keitel, but it's to say that everybody is intrinsically closer with them in the story. Mm. And the reason is that, you know, we're fighting on the same side. Keitel isn't a villain that we got to speak to in... Yeah, we... Yeah, Keitel is just the villain we got to speak to in Presage, but... Mithrax is actually with us side by side, and whenever Lakshmi makes a kind of, like, veiled threat, he's able to immediately call it out. Whenever Ikora states something about human and elixir cultures being closer together, he's able to sit there and either counter or agree with it. You know, that's the genius thing about it. You have a cast of really strong characters in both seasons, but this time they get to directly play off of Mithrax. Mm. That's really, really good, and honestly, these last two seasons kind of represent an entirely different book in terms of the sort of the way that Destiny's story has been evolving, you know? Previously, mm. we were advancing slowly, chapter by chapter, getting little things right, but it's all come together now, and finally we have a really good seasonal story that hits tons of great vibes on the way and gives you an ability to interact with a lot of topics and feels like a coherent narrative. And mm. just, 
very happy for me. Yeah, I, I, yeah I'm over the moon. <laughs> there's a lot more involvement with the um, with just like the tower and the city characters, and it's actually it's just telling both sides. There's a lot of like you know telling both sides of the story. You know, you start starting to see the other side of the Kabul <clears throat> and Fallen, who have been enemies since. You know, the Fallen were like pretty much the first enemy ever shown off in Destiny, and to now think mm -hmm. that there are Fallen in the tower just chilling vending machines like it, it's so weird to see <laughs> it also makes a lot of sense yes. like you would you would imagine by now it's kind of like again we've been saying in multiple episodes like is is there's not really in 2021 there's not really much point for us to be still fighting the fallen like what are we still doing we've wiped out most of the enemies at this point mm -hmm. they might as well and especially even i always appreciate how when bungie does the the full circle of like they plant the seeds very early on and then they just pay it off later um, like for example, with the fallen, like we always, we always knew from the beginning they were, they were, they used to be the same as guardians. The traveler was with them, they were the same thing, and then the traveler left them, and now they're like these disgraced pirate warriors, aliens. And there was always the kind of, you know, the seed of like, well, maybe wonder if they'll, wonder if they'll get back in the good, in the good books of the traveler and the like. You know, in theory they could because they were the same mm -hmm. as guardians, and now they are, and it's exactly just doing exactly that with the cabal. We've killed, I guess, most of the enemies, and the only main real leader of the Cabal is uh, is, is Keitel, who's kind of, you know, diplomatic. She's not just a straight-up enemy. So it, it right. things are making sense. It's not like we're just at war with these aliens forever, and it's just this video game, here are the enemies, these are the bad guys. Like, it's actually making you think about things and, like, are these guys the enemies and who's... They really are playing with the whole, like, what side are you really on? Especially, you know, when there's the darkness, the big nebulous enemy, the bad guy. Who, mm -hmm. We didn't really know if there is like if there is like like what 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 is the darkness is is there an enemy that we're against or are they just a, is it a two sides of the same coin but it's cool to see Bungie just paying off narratives that they've kind of hinted a long time ago and even especially with Mithrax he was shown off in what launch of Destiny two in the yes. was it the mm. in the quest? Titan yeah in the Titan World quest that yeah. gives you the start which racking. was really yeah. cool and I, and you know we, we remember playing that. And it was a. Re I remember at the time covering it, and it was like a really strange, obviously very deliberate Easter egg ending to a mission where you're encountering this fallen captain, and then you have a choice at the end of killing either him or the hive. And if you kill the hive knight, then the this fallen captain does this friendly sign to you, and he lets you have the reactor that you're fighting over. And it was always planted the seed of like, oh, there was a. And I remember, you know, all of us were talking about it at the time, like, oh, this is a kind of a possibly a fallen that's maybe on our side and now in season of the splicer in 2021 we're here working with him and it's just like it's I, I, I always appreciate i always give props to bungie when they do things full circle you know sometimes they just shoehorn characters in shoehorn them out and they cut them you know mm, for bcv right. sakes but it's always cool when they pay off things that we've seen since destiny one and even since 2017 and destiny 2's launch yeah absolutely and i think the cool thing about it is that Mithrax, in one way or another, has always been in our consciousness in the background yeah. if we've been really tuning into things. So in Destiny 2, year one, yes, the entirety of the culmination of the Titan World Quest ends up being that reactor encounter, which is so fantastic for the sake that Destiny for once provided you a choice. And then beyond that, in Forsaken, you had the Lord of Wolves and Queen Breaker's bow, Lord Tabs, as well as a few lore books that mention Mithrax and give a little bit of story to him. In Season of Opulence, you've got another mention of him because he's basically the one in the Truth Lore tab and who's sending, or rather leaving notes behind for his daughter in the Truth Quest. And then, you know, the year after that, we've got um, 
everything that happened with Zero Hour in the season of the Drifter too. Mm. Uh, yeah, and finally you had the last real hint before it eventually surfaced, which is even in Beyond Light, where Mithrax name drops, uh, sorry, not Mithrax, Varix name drops the House of Light mm. and Mithrax mm. uh, as fallen civilians are fleeing from yep. the House of Salvation. And it's this incredible thing of, like, we've seen this constant list of influences and points uh, where Mithrax has been in the dialogue. And it's nice to see all of that paid off, but it's let us build this constant association with the idea of, yes, this was years in the making, you know? It took that two-year period at the very beginning for Mithrax to start to come around to the idea that, yes, maybe I should work with the Guardians. Um... And then, you know, over the two years, he's built house operations and he's worked on subterfuge against the other fallen houses that are attacking the city and all sorts of other things. It's just, mm. yeah, you know, like you actually had a character being built up. And here's the thing. I have very little doubt that with the way that Bungie is working on things now, if they create a narrative structure with strange little storylines and arcs here and there now, just like Zero Hour was... I imagine it will be voiced, I imagine it will have a greater story component, which means that when those smaller story elements do become part of a main story narrative, they're going to be even stronger, right? Imagine for a second if the Guardian who had died um, in uh, the Glycan mission in Presage was actually alive and was constantly trying to communicate with you on the ship, but was then, you know, evaporated into a darkness portal. Imagine if that happens, it's like, well, I guess we'll never see them again. But then they appear a few years later as part of the narrative of, you know, Lightfall or something. Mm. Can you imagine how strong that's going to be, considering the build-up that character gets given, and how people are looking to that and can see that story get paid off a few years later? Mm. You know, th that's incredible. You have these great opportunities now. Really glad to see it. Yeah, it just does seem like, again, story-wise, because Bungie is just excelling at it, it does... Yeah, as we know, Destiny 3 was axed and they salvaged what they had been working on it and they are now feeding it slowly into Destiny 2 with these three and now four expansions, the Beyond Light and Witch Queen, Lightfall and the one after that. Um, but it, like just how, how much is happening, like if you compare what's happening in these seasons compared to previous seasons, like story-wise, like, you know, getting literally full-on friendly fall and that's been something that, you know, people have been like speculating, guessing, like I imagine. But it does seem like just just what's happening is so massive. I mean, I wonder what, obviously, we've got, I guess, an extra two seasons before um, uh, Witch Queen. So I would imagine, I mean, I wonder what the story is going to lead up to. Obviously, there's a lot of speculation about, like, Curia yeah. and Savathun and I, maybe the Dream of I, City. But... Yeah, I was going to say, I feel like that's got to be the point to hit on. Because mm. the Dreaming City has been... Um, absent from most seasonal stories with the exception of Season of the Hunt where it's just barely touched on yeah. um, with two of those uh, uh, with two of the hunts against the Wrathborn but when it comes down to it that's a story that is directly linked into this whole Coria business and I, I, we should probably talk about that in a moment or mm. so but the fact that it's not been touched in that long tells me that Bungie has been leaving it there for a reason Yeah, you know Nessus was not touched in ages, and then in Season of the Chosen, it became a major staging ground for everything to do with Keitel. Yep. New Strike appeared there, the land tank rework of that one area happened, and all of a sudden, Nessus is just somewhat more relevant again on that particular front. Mm. You sit there and you talk about other areas that haven't been touched like that in ages, that don't feel like they would need to be sort of relatively static for the sake of being an introduction to new lights. And that leaves you realistically with only one territory, and that's the Dreaming City. Mm. So... 
and also yeah, from exciting. an engineering standpoint which you know that bungie is also very very importantly considering the dreaming city is probably like one of the biggest like assets in the game taking up a lot of space that is very much underutilized like, what is there to do on the besides there was a like, wrathborn hunt so i guess there's blind well last wish uh, but you can go ahead and run the dungeon now because they updated yeah, the rewards on that yeah it's it's very yeah, underutilized so you know bungie is always going to be like you know just, just 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 the way the game is they have to be utilizing stuff if it's taking up space so you know they're going to be looking at that like we like we have to pretty much either do something with the space or put it in the vault and take it out like anywhere as we've seen that isn't being used directly is going to get axed because it's wasting space that they could do other stuff with so you would definitely be sure that they're gonna do something with the dreaming city soon just to utilize it because it is very much for most people this kind of empty space probably a very cool space for a lot of people especially if you didn't play forsaken um i would imagine a lot of people go there but like, what is this like huge huge big like epic epic destination that's hardly used but i'm sure they will um, i mean i guess there's talk about them maybe sunsetting and removing areas of forsaken and especially like with aldrin's story i remember seeing about um they were saying how well i'm not sure how you know how 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 confirmed or how uh accurate it was but they were saying about how aldrin's story is too confusing for new players <laughs> which is funny because obviously if you go in and you see crow and then if you go and see aldrin in dreaming in um forsaken story it just would make no sense but right yeah it's a it's it's a messy one but um let's talk about we should talk about curia and sabathon and yeah. what's going on there because it did seem like the season did seem a bit um like you know another nebulous threat the vex have turned the lights off but now it's seeming like there's a bit more happening behind the scenes and it might involve probably one of the most the second most interesting enemy in the game so what's going on there then well um i think the first thing to understand is that Anything where the Vex are directly attacking the city is cause for real concern because they have never done something like that before. You know, this is completely bespoke in terms of Destiny's history and lore because mm. the Vex don't tend to mess with things like the Traveler, Guardians, mm. you know, what Ascendant Earth? Hives, stuff that's paracausal. You know, they, they don't tend to mess with powers that they can't easily predict and understand unless there's an absolute degree of certainty for them. So, yeah, things like Panoptes, Infinite Mind, all that good stuff, yeah, they're totally for that. But literally taking the entirety of the city and plunging it into a simulation of darkness, and also siphoning off the power from the city, as it turns out, according to some of the uh, lore and the extra story beats that we've gotten throughout the new season. Yeah, that's a really ballsy move by the Vex. And it was one of those very interesting moments where everyone was kind of like, well, is this just the Vex being the Vex? Is this related to something in the Vault of Glass? Yeah. And as it turns out, yeah, no, uh, we kind of get a glimpse of it in the first mission, um, which is a taken Vex Hydra. If you uh, flee the first story mission boss, you'll try and jump through the portal, but it'll dissipate. And all the Vex security walls come in around you, and suddenly a bunch of Vex Hydra spawn. But in the middle of all of them, there is a giant Vex Hydra, but it is very clearly taken. Mm. And uh, there is one easy description of an important Vex Hydra that comes up consistently in the lore and would tie this all in with Witch Queen and make this really the first sort of prelude chapter to Witch Queen. And that is Quoria. Uh, and Quoria is, base to give it a really simple summary, it's basically a Vex mind that is kind of the reason why Savathun is able to use the same Taken powers of Oryx and is able to control the Taken. And it's 
it, it's really scary. It's got tons of lore in the books of sorrow, but it's an unbelievably important part of Savathun's plan, I think. Is and, uh, Curia the reason yeah. why, like the technical reason why the loop exists? Like that's how that's how she's able to use the time manipulation, right? As best we can tell, yes. Uh, there are tons of signs pointing to it. Things such as um, in you've got the three repeating story missions in the Dreaming City, right? And in one of them, uh, there is analysis that is made by uh, Osiris because we go ahead and we send some of the telemetry and data that we gather from the repeated missions to him. And one of the responses that Ghost feeds to us from Osiris is that the simulation in the Dreaming City, the three-week cycle, uh, is so accurate and everybody repeats their actions so perfectly that it almost can only be compared to a Vex simulation. You take that and then you have a whole bunch of other name drops, such as specific Taken entities that seem to indicate Coria's name, and it's one of the uh, moments at which you then look deeper into the law. And even in the deceptive law books, like, say, Truth to Power, mm. there are these moments where Coria is name-dropped. And so it's one of these very interesting points in the story where we didn't exactly get the perfect confirmation. But the fact that Savathun caused the curse on the Dreaming City basically implied that, yes, this is exactly how it went down. Or even if it wasn't that there was some close approximation of this that allowed this to happen. Mm. So... Yeah, Coria is definitely some somehow tied to the Dreaming City's three-week cycle and the curse. Yeah. And more importantly than that, perhaps, they are tied to whatever's happening right now inside of the Vex domain. And I, I think if there's one more thing to say, it's that the Vex are really interesting in the sense that they don't expect subterfuge. They don't expect sabotage. Osiris says as much when you're starting the new seasonal activity override. Sometimes... Um, you get a very telling, cheeky line of dialogue from him, which says, the Vex uh, see things directly, yada, yada, yada. They have no, uh, you know, they have no mind for sabotage and subterfuge and all that. And he says, who knows what could be hiding inside their network? I don't know, but who knows? You know, it's this, it's this point of making uh, very clear that the Vex do not operate like that. Mm. And so Coria, a Vex taken that is being forced inside their network, uh, it makes tons of sense because they are able to recognize all of the different commands that it would be able to give. It has an overriding will because it's being controlled by a being that supersedes the power of the Vex by being paracausal. And then, after all that's said and done, it makes all the more sense because the bosses that we face in this season are called subjugated minds. Mm. And that implies that you have a bunch of different Vex that aren't actually acting of their own will. They're sitting there and they're obeying the will of Coria and therefore the will of Savathun. Mm. So the link is really quite clear and quite obvious. It's just a case of how they reveal it over the few story uh, beats that they'll have over the next few weeks. Mm. And it's really exciting to see. Um, yeah, just fantastic occasion to bring a villain like this through because they've—it's like, a little bit like Mithraex in that sense. Yeah, you know, you have yeah. this character that's been built Taken up a lot King. in the lore. Yeah, exactly. This has been six years in the making, mm -hmm. and uh, finally we get to fight them in game, and it's going to be a really huge moment, I think—a moment when we actually get to see and hopefully um, get a really great story moment with one of these big villains that uh, is kind of key to Savathun. Mm. Yeah, there's only one um there's there's only one taken vex hydra that is uh, unaccounted for that it would make sense to be. So if there's a, if there's a random uh vex taken hydra that they're teasing with a little flash at the end of the mission, 
when I actually like in the mission, I like jumped off the edge. I think the portal disappears and then I went off. But luckily mm -hmm. it respawned me in time to see. Because you know you do that mission once, I think. Yeah. I think once mm -hmm. per account, yeah. right? Once across account, yeah. Yeah. So if, yeah, you better, you, well, had to make sure you were paying attention at the time, which I'm assuming most people have done it. But um, yeah, like the Hydra flashes for a second. I remember at the time thinking like, who is that? And then it kind of left. And I was thinking, oh, that's interesting. But yeah, there's only, if there's a there's a mysterious Vex Taken Hydra about, it's, you know, there's only one Vex Taken Hydra that we know about. But interestingly enough, I mean, story-wise, if if we take out Curia in this season, which you, what, what do you think the odds are on her being the, it being the enemy this season? Maybe the main villain. I think, we'll take... I, think I think that the odds are practically speaking, a hundred percent. And if and there's not really point, anyone else, we... is there? There isn't yeah, one main no. villain. It's just the Vex are doing yeah. something. So it's just like you would assume, and they showed it. So you would assume, would take her, take it out, yeah. the thing out. Yeah, it's you know, it's very much a thing of a dual story, right? You've got the story inside the city of the FWC and the Fallen going on right now. But as for the main villain, the stuff that might actually unite everybody. Yeah, it's definitely Quaria. Mm. But it, it's kind of all the more reason to think that next season we're going to the Dreaming City. Because when you sit there and look at it, if we destroy Quaria, yep. we then have this really sudden moment where the Dreaming City is in kind of a big deal of jeopardy because mm. you don't know how that curse is then going to play out. Yep. There is the potential that Quaria has been constantly overseeing, or at least the Medusa part of Quaria, if we're to believe truth to power, but don't trust it, uh, might have been overseeing the three-week curse and stopping it from getting any worse by resetting it perfectly mm. every time. So we're not 100% sure what's going to happen there, but if we do defeat Coria in this season, we could go ahead and see the Dreaming City evolve even further than it has already. And yeah. if we don't see that going down, I mean, imagine a place in which we sit there and all of a sudden we have this uh, moment where Coria retreats, uh, and then it's like, okay... The simulation is ending, the Vex domain is being unthreaded from the city and is going to eventually evaporate and get destroyed. But now we need to chase this beast, you know? Mm. That becomes a part of a really fantastic seasonal story beat over two seasons that can then link together into Witch Queen itself, you know? I think it's this fantastic thing of, like, hunt the boss's minion and then hunt the boss, you mm. know? Hunt Quaria and then go on to Savathun. Yeah, exactly. Right. Like that's that's the most important thing. People, if you don't not too familiar with Quaria, 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 whatever its name is, um, that is the direct, the direct line to Savathun. So like Savathun is you know hiding, chilling, being sneaky, doing her little stuff. She's you know she's got a, she's basically got an uh, infinite farming loop set up on the Guardians in the Dreaming City where she doesn't have to do anything. She's just getting power just by sitting back. Literally just like a one of those macro cheats where you just like glue your mouse and it just like keeps going over and over again. So the Dreaming City, she is no, she's in a power um, power advantage position, so she doesn't have to do anything. But when you take out Curia, then Savathun will have to act. So taking out Curia is then going to be the domino effect to Savathun will definitely do something um, once we take that Vex Hydra out. So it's it's, it's definitely going to be something tying to the Dreaming City and most likely Savathun, but obviously you would assume we're not going to see or hear much of Savathun until the Witch Queen expansion, which is still mm. like a year away. So I've got to ask, and I, I want your opinion on this, because I feel like it's a really fascinating moment with Bungie. It's kind of a twofold question. First of all, they've built up Savathun, and Savathun is such an incredible villain. Probably the best, I, I'd say, yeah. 
Yeah, absolutely. Like, no question. She is the most iconic villain in all of Destiny's mm -hmm. history. That we haven't even seen yet. Uh, yeah. Do you think we'll actually see her at some point? And perhaps even further to that, do you actually believe that we can kill Sevathun? Because I, I'm sitting there and I'm thinking to myself, this is the god of trickery. There's no way that she doesn't pull a Loki at the end of Thor 1 and just feign death and mm. then come back later in some other kind of form. Or maybe pull an Oryx and just be like, haha, surprise, I'm in touch of malice. I've always been in the winning <laughs> position. Now you go win for me. I'm going to retire inside this ball. That's not actually what happens, but you kind of get the idea, right? Like, retire. Is there, is there, is there, is there any, we have retired you into a weapon. <laughs> that is never Go say used hi to ever, Sol. except for in one raid. <laughs> that is the most useless gun. Oh. Um, so we, we, we were asking if I think we'll see Sabathun before Witch Queen. Uh, if we'll th if you think we'll see Savathun at all. At I know all. that sounds a little crazy, mm. but we've never seen her. And in lots of instances where characters do see her, she has this really deceptive thing where she actually hides her appearance and doesn't mm. show herself visibly to any of the characters there. I and, think... Yeah. yeah, I think... I'm, I'm honestly like 50-50 because it's one, of the, it's, it's one of the least predictable elements of Bungie storytelling. Because I genuinely... Like, the way they've built Savathun up, it definitely does seem like this isn't a cookie-cutter Oryx, like, this is just a villain, raid boss, take her out, and that's it. It does, I, I, right. I definitely, definitely foresee, and Bungie have talked about Witch Queen being, like, a lot bigger and much more different, and they're doing a lot of things they've never done before, and, you know, it's, it's been delayed as well, so, you know, you would imagine there's a lot of resources going into it. It's going to be a very big, exciting expansion, I think. Um, but I genuinely, like, I... I wouldn't be surprised if there's some weird twist going on where, like, just something happens. I, I I just don't think it's going to be as simple as she's the raid boss, go and kill her, job done. Like, I feel like there's going to be some weird stuff with either Ziva or Wrath, um, the Marasov, the Queen. I feel like something's going to happen where, like, Eve would work with her. Maybe she's just, like, fi finds a way to ally with us. Maybe... We end up teaming up with her to fight Zivu. I, I just feel like there's something, or maybe it's, maybe it's just some weird thing where she turns out to be this other character, you know, not Eris, but like turned out to be this character all along. I just feel like they're going to do something really, really weird. Because again, like she's master of trickery, and even the writers, I remember them talking about how she's not just going to obviously just be a big bad vit, a big bad villain, and just like show herself. Like mm -hmm. I, I just. The, the real answer is I don't know, but I, I, I do feel like they're not just going to go the predictable route of just like, here's an enemy. And I, and I feel like, I don't know, something weird. The main thing I can't figure out is, is, is like Zivu, because that's like the other sister who is, you know, also very, very, very powerful. So I'm kind of wondering how, and, you know, they introduced um, her in the season of The Hunt. So I'm wondering, like, I, I feel like maybe, like, what if the two sisters fight? Like, would they be on the same side, do you think? It's a, it's a it's a good question because the way the hive work they do they are technically all on the same side but their side also dictates that you know only the strongest is allowed to survive and i mean it even goes as far as the hive having a phrase saying this love is war and war is love you yeah. know they they they'll literally backstab and betray each other to the point of extremes as a way of helping to make each other stronger mm. so i think oryx laughs at one point in the books of sorrow about how um I want to say it's Shivarath or something. One of his other sisters um, literally detonates a planet, a war moon that he's residing on at the time being, uh, just to kill him. Yeah, they and killed he laughs each other a lot, didn't they? 
Yeah, and uh, you know, a he laughs at this thing, right? And he laughs at it partly because of the fact that it's a waste of a war moon, you know? Perfectly <laughs> good planet fortress that we could have used as the hive, you know? This interstellar armada. But also, he laughs because it actually was genuinely an act of love in their kind of strange way. Yeah, because they it like taught war. him to be stronger. They're like, oh, you impressive, know, he, good one. Right? It taught him to survive an exploding planet, you know? And it, it, it's one of these moments of saying, no one else would have done that for me. No one else was strong or crazy enough to throw a planet at me yet. So whenever the next person yeets a planet at me, I'll be able to counter it now. Thank you very much. That was a generous gift of you teaching me how to survive. You know, it's this, it's such a strange way of looking at it. But I mean, like, you yeah, know, like I have a weird creatures. Right? Like, so there, there's that point of saying, yes, they'd absolutely be pitting against each other to an extent, but they serve the same overarching principles. So it's one of those things of if Hive Knights of Savathun and Hive Knights of Shivor Rath are dropped into an arena and there's a Guardian, every Hive Knight, regardless of which Hive God they really work for, is going to be charging that Guardian. It doesn't matter what's going on. That's just mm. the way it's going to be, you know? So Yeah, I just, yeah. I just think some weird stuff... I think some weird plot twists are going to happen that nobody, I'm sure some people have predicted there's a lot of theories, but I think I think there definitely is going to be some major plot twists that nobody saw coming for sure, which is why I'm so probably the most interested in Savathun and the Witch Queen story, because I do think it's going to be, like, like we said, Bungie is, in, in the whole history of Destiny, they've never um, had such a long-running narrative of one character before, so I think, mm. yeah, like, I'm just, you know, got my popcorn ready, I'm waiting to see what they do but genuinely i have no idea which is which, which is why which is what makes it interesting because we've kind of gone from the days of just here's a big bad alien bad guy kill him job done cool you save the day guard and now it's just all, all all the enemies and threats are just weird and convoluted and there's morality and ethics and there's like keitel and mithrax and they're just kind of they're they're they're, they're throwing a lot of spanners in the works in terms of enemies that used to be enemies that are now kind of like friendly and it's it's just mm. yeah the story is just going in so many random good directions but just random unpredictable directions and even in um i mean even in the splicer like one of the one of the best things is is just how their everything is it's getting very almost like political and it's almost reflecting yeah. real life in a lot of ways i saw Dude. a lot of a lot of oh, yeah. hints about like things that happened in America recently, like a lot, a lot of power. You can tell the writers were definitely kind of uh, definitely making some underlying uh, mentions to real life American politics. And there's like, there's what I guess xenophobia and hate against aliens and immigration. And like, there's, there's a lot of like real life mm -hmm. issues that they're cleverly weaving in. You've got uh, Lakshmi, <laughs> the big, <laughs> the big alien hater. And it's yep. just, it, which was interesting as well. They're actually doing something with the faction leaders. That was good to see. And um, yeah, right. And they brought back a fantastic voice actress to do that, mm. who's who's had a lot of kind of characters play this kind of role out before, especially in things like The Expanse. So mm. yeah, really fantastic to see that too. Um, I'll I'll say this as well. Like the fact that they're weaving that stuff in, I think, is really good for the sake of the fact that. On an objective level, you're able to tell stories that not only are more relevant to people, but also feel a lot more real and feel a lot more deep. You know, I think some of the more powerful uh, parts of shows such as, say, Battlestar Galactica end up coming about because of um, the conflict between the quote-unquote human faction and the quote-unquote alien faction, you know? not going to go too deep into that story because that's a whole other tangent but this exact scenario of 
a bunch of aliens that previously had been enemies. Um, it comes up in BSG uh, in the whole thing of like the Colonials versus the Cylons, and it's like the way that they can play that stuff out. There are definitely firebrand characters like Lakshmi mm. who could uh, who could work in a very offensive, aggressive position, and almost everything that Lakshmi does towards Mithrax and the Fallen is a veiled threat, and she mm. makes no, she, you know, she makes no fucking. Uh, plan of hiding any of that mm, yeah you know and she and the most important thing of all of it though i think is that when it comes down to it she feels justified in doing that and it shows a complex side to the conflict which means that there isn't just a pure black and white aspect to it you know she is looking at examples of history where it has been the case that there's been good reason to distrust the fallen and now it's about sitting down and having a nuanced conversation of saying these elixni are not the same as the fallen that attacked us at twilight gap there are different motives that's not to say that every single fallen is perfect but you can't say that every human is perfect either you know you have to sit there and actually understand that the world is not a thing of black and white lines it's mm -hmm. very much shades of gray mm -hmm. an understanding that mithrax and the house of light are actually trying to ally with us in good faith is probably one of the most important steps towards understanding that shades of gray side of things you know um yeah that's that's really good I'd, I'd say this too like as a just to return very briefly to touch on the aspect of destiny's enemies i think the cool thing for that is that i mean even between what we can see with the last few seasons with mithrax and keitel is that destiny used to just have enemies you know high fallen taken cabal vex now the enemies have ascended into either villains antagonists or in some strange cases allies mm -hmm. you know Mithrax, previously fallen, and some of the fallen generally, you know, you have someone who has now become an ally. Whether that is an ally of convenience or whether that's an ally in good faith is going to be one of those things that reveals itself through the story, although it seems very clear that it's going to be an ally in good faith. You have people that, you know, previously would have just been an enemy. If Keitel had been a villain in Destiny 1, you can bet that it would have just been Cabal Empress, Keitel, go shoot. You know, mm. now you sit there and you understand the dynamics of the cabal as a people, and you understand her position as someone who doesn't necessarily want to fight a long drawn out war with the guardians, but has also learned to respect them thanks to our actions and proving grounds. And then you have the people that are genuinely hell bent on undermining us for a bunch of different reasons, and they are the villains. You know, mm. Savathun, the darkness, to an extent, building in the story, you've got Shiva or Wrath. You got all these great characters, and before it would have just been, hey there's bad guy go shoot mm. now you actually have those layers of death and complexity thank yep. god yeah yeah it's um and also like even with lakshmi i always wonder like i wonder how many i wonder how many new ish players probably never even seen her before in the game because right. she hasn't been really i mean what well, she's in the tower you can't interact you couldn't was she mm, still yeah. in the tower can you interact you just can't you can't you, you can't her. you can't interact but with she's her there but she's in the still in the tower, tower. Like I yeah, wonder how many players have just never even known because obviously the factions were as many as many people who played Destiny Two knows were they were introduced with what faction rallies, uh, which was a fun time. The farming the weep, anyone that remembers that. Um, oh boy! But then Bungie <laughs> kind of realised that the factions were. I guess they just couldn't really live up to their expectations, so they pretty much removed them from the game for a good up until now. So we actually got you know, the faction leader doing something, which is interesting to see. Um, mm. And obviously her opinions on things are very, uh, very, very conservative. But she, mm. I mean, 
I mean, her, her viewpoint is a weird one because I guess like what she she saw a vision of Mithrax in a fallen in in a in a, a dilapidated version of the city, and now she's just assuming that they're the bad guys, and it's almost like this self-fulfilling prophecy where she's assuming they're the bad guys, so she's probably gonna like try and push them into being the bad guys, but. Yeah, she's not very um she's not very compassionate it it, uh, it, it seems like but it, it, it's good it's not just like it, it, it's showing mm -hmm. again it's showing a lot more human elements and there's there's nuance to it there's people that have different opinions there's conflict and there's a lot of a lot of perspective going on which is cool to see again we, we're getting a lot more yeah. like city story and it's not just like guardians go out and kill aliens and other planets it's like there's actually you know conflict and what do you think about this and the little transmissions and they're really just filling out the story well yeah so I, I think that part of the reason why Lakshmi's story this time around is so good is partly because there's a lot to decipher about the depth of what she is really fighting for and what she believes. Mm. And the cool thing is, uh, in terms of... I say cool thing. That's kind of, it's kind of a really hard way to describe it. But the good thing in terms of creating depth for the story is that Lakshmi, I think, has some good faith reasons to be very wary of the fallen. And then she has a few reasons that are tellingly bad faith. So the good faith reasons that she states, at very least to you, directly in the story are simply, I had visions of the Red Legion attacking and I was quietly ignored. And then when the Red Legion did attack, we were prepared. We were able to help the citizens of the city. I'm now having visions of this, thanks to the machine that the FWC hoards away that lets them see into the future. I am not going to stay silent on this. I'm going to shout about it loudly. And it's true, she does have a series of visions where Mithrax is at the center of a Vex portal that opens up in the city, and the city is in flames and is in ruins, and consistently, it's getting ruined. But in one of those visions, the vision that turns out with the city triumphing and the future war cult actually being able to repel some of this, if I'm not mistaken, it's in the stochastic variable lore tab, it shows her position as she is now at the very beginning, and then it shows her position after that final timeline. And in that, it shows that she personally has ascended to a sort of leader-slash-dictator role. And it's one of these moments of sitting there and saying, are you pursuing this because you genuinely care about the safety of the city, or are you pursuing this for personal means and personal power? And it's one of these really fascinating things, like, I, I really can't wait to make a video on this, because this is going to be such a great discussion. But it's one of these really fascinating moments of sitting there and saying, we can have an argument in good faith, but there's enough depth in the characters for them to have genuine personal bad faith reasons to hate the fallen, or to want them to, you know, fall out of faith with the citizens of the last city. And it's going to be a real test of the depth of the writing to see how this comes out in the story in the next coming weeks. Because, mm. holy lord, can you imagine if she makes a grab for power? Can you imagine if Lakshmi actually tries to become a dictator and overthrow the vanguard? Could you see that happening? Could you even fathom? That would be incredible. It's one of those moments where Destiny's storytelling could actually ascend into something that's, you know, way bigger and honestly way better than it's been for years because it involves something that is intrinsically really tricky to decide about like if you sat there and you had to ally yourself either with the house of light or the fwc i think it's pretty clear that most people would side with the house of light but you bet there's going to be a solid mm. fifth or something of people that sit there and they're like nope lakshmi's right 
you know like that's brilliant that's such a and great like aspect of their actual, story that's actual you know faction that, that's, that's it's even better yeah. than the than the premise of factions were initially with faction wars and faction rallies and everyone always wanted the faction to be involved so that would be you know dead orbit and the monarchy aren't really i'm not sure where they are but it, it it would be interesting, you know, if if you were able to take sides, and you know what, I believe this almost like political parties. I I, I believe yeah, you know she's absolutely. right. Let's uh, let's take her side, and yeah, it's just really interesting how it's all how it's all playing out, and um, obviously her voice actor returned, which is good, but um, yeah. uh, a voice actor that didn't return is a uh, core Ray. She's mm. back with a new voice actor, although she. So obviously, a lot of people were asking previously. Um, like, whereas Cora haven't heard her from ages, but then Bungie were like, no, she's got a big role in Witch Queen, she's still staying around, and then now, obviously, we've got her back, but with a new voice actor replacing Gina Torres, which is, I guess, understandable, as we even speculated before. You would imagine Gina Torres is probably, you know, she's a very, very, very high-level actor, voice actor, um, so you'd imagine she's probably very expensive and is probably mm -hmm. very difficult to um, book. Her schedule's probably very busy, so it probably, like, you know, is the typical case where they can just get more more out of her if they just get a new voice actor, which it seems like what they've done. But yeah, it's unfortunate. Mm. Obviously, Gina Torres is a very unique voice. That like there's a reason why she is who she is, but she's not got a very yeah. um, replicatable voice. It definitely sounds different. Definitely, the very first thing I had noticed in the trailer was, "Oh, it's definitely not. <laughs> that's definitely not Cora." Mm -hmm. But at least it's good to see the character is back and we we'll actually hear more of her. But yeah, yeah. I won't lie, when I first heard uh, her new voice in the trailer, I sat there and thought, is that Petra? But yeah. to to the to the credit of the new voice actress, I think she's got the tone and the intonations that Ikora has always been known for down pat. She's got mm. it really well-crafted. And whilst it's very clear that the voice is different, I think that the bigger thing for Ikora's character has always been sort of the way that she acts and the tone is really important for that so there's going to be those moments at which she is measured and she's giving you that precise information you know whether it's talking about how you know the vex are continuing to evolve their function and are looking to consume a planet or whether it's talking about the darkness of the hive and how specifically they need to counter it and how she trusts eris with that particular thing but also more tellingly when she gets mad you know, there's that moment that is so fantastic in Forsaken when, uh, you know, it's her and Zavala standing over Kate's corpse with you in the background. And she says to do anything less than basically take full war to Aldrin Sov would be cowardice, you know. And those are the moments at which she really loses her cool. Mm. And that's what's really important for Ikora to get right, you know, in or at least for the voice actress for Ikora to get right. And thus far, I think they've done a stellar job. So, yeah, you know, changing of the guard is going to happen, I think. Mm. And whilst they're definitely keeping some really iconic characters around, I'm really glad to see that uh, even where they are making these changes here, for the most part, the voice actors and actresses who are filling in are doing a really stellar job. Mm. And I mean, you know, like, not to make too much of a point of it, but... This has happened with Avangard before. Nathan Fillion mm -hmm. uh, dropped out for voicing Cade after Destiny 2, and Nolan North filled in uh, with his lines. Yeah. And honestly, I didn't even notice until someone told me. Yeah, and this yeah. is, you know, like, this was a little bit more obvious, but it's got to be said, you know, like, stellar job from everyone who's involved in the voice work is still very much the cardinal rule for Destiny. Like, mm. it's good voice acting. It's really good. Yeah, it will take a while for, you know, the transition, but, you know... 
it's necessary if if we end up getting more story and more narrative but um you know if you, uh, i guess there's also probably a lot of people who again new players if maybe you never even heard much of a core it might not even notice the difference but i mean for the first mission mm -hmm. when i played i for some reason i just just like thought it was a different character I'm not sure if you mm -hmm. felt that like but i i just kind of forgot it was a chorus speaking because i'm so used to just what a chorus sounds like or gina torres sounds like and um, when I was hearing like the new voice actress, I was just thinking like, who is this? I was like, oh yeah, Sigour, Akura speaking, but <laughs> we'll get used to it. And um, yeah, again, more, 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 more story is, is, is better than none. And clearly, we're, as we've seen, uh, we, we haven't been getting many lines in the past. So yeah, it's a net positive, I'd say. Absolutely. And so we've talked a lot about the story, which, as we always say, is the uh, absolute pinnacle of Destiny. But there are obviously some other areas of Destiny which are uh, maybe not going so smoothly. So we'll do our uh, our regular check in with Crucible, which is um, yeah. that's the thing. Like, it, like it, you, you'll see such varying opinions on. You can pretty much tell how someone plays the game based off of like how they're feeling off it. Like, you know, obviously a lot of Crucible PvP players are not very happy. A lot of people are taking breaks, leaving the game, and hashtag nerf stasis. Basically, stasis is still... Mm. Um, I mean, they did nerf it, but seemingly not enough. And as we've also said before, I think a lot of people... A lot of people just don't like stasis full stop. And and, and I think, again, as, as we talked about, I think in the last episode, is I think a very good solution would just be a non-stasis, a light, light subclasses only playlist. I think removing stasis from Crucible is probably not going to happen. You also need to think, like, stasis is one of the main selling points of beyond light like mm -hmm. stasis isn't just yep. a isn't just a thing like it's 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 you know there's a dollar it's amount baked on, into the game yeah like it, it's, it's what they spend a huge amount of resources building so they aren't just gonna pull it out of the game no matter how many people dislike it it's literally something that you one of the one of the main aspects you pay for with beyond light so they aren't just gonna pull it out because it's what you pay for it would almost be just kind of like a waste of time for them but I do think, you know, a, a playlist without stasis would be great. But again, what if people like it so much that that's all they play? And that, But that, I'm sure that would probably be paused. I mean, I know I would play that playlist a lot. And I think I speak for a lot of people <laughs> that um, maybe that playlist would be more populated than the others. But yeah, yeah the sentiment around Crucible, it, 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 it is definitely sad to see. But Crucible is um, not in a great place right now. It's definitely eroding. Yeah, I mean, here's the thing as well. I think some of the most eloquently put together um, thoughts with regards to this uh, came from creators like Ascendant Nomad. And his uh, entire philosophy behind why people loved to play Destiny's PvP and got so deep into it was not because there was some great competitive scene, even though at the time of Destiny 1, Year 3, people were really trying to push for that to be a thing. Instead, it's because it feels great to play it because of the fact that you've got the ability for a hero fantasy to truly play out in front of you, and because you have some of the best-feeling movement mechanics in a video game. You know, it's not, it's not quite Titanfall 2 with regards to its movement, but there is a level of depth and control there that allows some players to really shine. And up until Top Tree Dawn got its buff, like, nothing truly broke it as much as Stasis did. But Stasis isn't breaking it because it is a movement mechanic that supersedes all the others. Stasis broke it because of the fact that Stasis stopped the great movement mechanics happening in the first place, you know? You have a fantastic movement-based sandbox in Destiny, and Stasis basically, I mean, literally put a hold on all of it. If you sit there and 
I mean, especially now after it has been adjusted and nerfed as a result, if you're in a dusk field grenade or if you're slowed, you won't be able to use some abilities. You know, some abilities like, say, Phoenix Dodge, or not Phoenix Dodge, uh, Icarus Dash, rather, uh, they are suppressed now whenever yeah. you're slowed. Yeah. So previously, where Top Tree Dawn would have been able to counter, say, a dusk field grenade by jumping and then dashing out of it really quickly, now they can't do that, mm. you know? That's they said just that was example. a bug. They said they said that they said that you they that wasn't intended, but they just kind of let it oh, slide. Okay. And they nerfed it, but doesn't really make the situation any better. But they just yeah, they did say that, you, that 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 was their plan initially, and they just fixed the bug instead of stealth nerfing. They just fixed the bug where now you can't Icarus dash out of it. But but yeah, yeah. it's you know it it really reaches the heart of everything, which is that. Destiny feels partly great to play because of those movements, but it's also what that movement enables. You know, it's if you can move better than an opponent, it's a great way of uh, countering them and outplaying them, and it means that Destiny feels fantastic to play as just, you know, that hero fantasy of taking on the three enemy guardians. But the moment a stasis projectile hits you, even if it's just a withering blade and it's only for slow, you know, you, you <laughs> suddenly you turn into a bit of a sitting duck. Mm. And if it's I mean, if it's a full-on freeze, then, I mean, good luck. And then you take away one person's speed, and then you have things like Behemoth, which move faster than anything else in the game. Behemoths can outpace a Top Tree Dawnblade going at full tilt. I didn't know that. And that's... Yeah, no, it's... it's <laughs> it, the, their melee Yikes. lunge has such distance that it's actually impossible to stay away from them on all subclasses, except maybe those that will be able to clear enough distance before the super is popped. And then even after that, you know, I, I've seen some people who sit there and legitimately questioned whether they should be running stealth so that they would be able to crouch and appear off radar and maybe lose the Titan. You know, like, that's the extent to which it is. You have you have people who are trying PvE strats to get away from a <laughs> PvP enemy. And it's just, I, I, I don't want to say anymore at that point. It's like... Did okay, you see, thing, yeah, did you see uh, Joe Verated's video oh of him freezing the guy like five oh, times in a row? The five ways to freeze that someone. That was the most oh, hilarious. No. The thing is, like, just watching, you can like feel it. You can feel the guys. And it was so like like frame by frame. That's such a perfect video because it's just like, it's, oh, you, you, like you can almost feel the, the, the player. I, don't, I almost wish you could see his perspective of just freeze and he's just stuck there. He's just like... If, if there's a Guardian Theatre, if there's a Guardian Theatre of that guy's uh, perspective, I want to see it because that's got to have been... I, I, mean, I can't imagine anything more frustrating. Oh, it's man. Just, there's, there's something about... Uh, there's something about it where it's just like just being stuck in place again. Like you, you said it so many times when you were just talking about Cruise, we said the word movement, which is mm -hmm. so core, as we always say to Destiny Crucible movement. And again, as we've always said in lots of episodes, it's just a number one rule you just can't cross. You can't just stopping the players move. It's just jarring. Not from mm -hmm. a, just a balance perspective, just from a player experience perspective. And again, I'm sure yeah. Bungie know this. You know, Bungie has a lot of smart developers, designers. Um, and crucible designers but again i'm sure there's also a lot of uh, i'm sure a lot of leadership at bungie doesn't want to just remove elements that make stasis what it is because that's pretty much like who like a lot of people might not be inclined to buy or be interested in beyond light if stasis isn't you know if it's useless if it's completely just the main point of it is it's, it's like we said the point of stasis is to be frozen without being frozen it's pretty much useless and with being frozen 
it's very, very, very annoying. So it's just a, it's a catch twenty two. It's a, it's a, it's a messy one. I mean, I feel as though, and I feel this is definitely not the first time this point has been raised. I feel as though an appropriate nerf to stasis is, uh, first of all, if you're slowed, stop that from suppressing some abilities. You know, like right. when you sit there and look at things like, say, Hunter's Smoke. Uh, on uh, Voidwalker, or not Voidwalker, on Nightstalker, that suppressing and slowing movement I think is appropriate because it's a much harder slow to land. If you're looking at stasis, I think a slow that maybe does not impact ability usage or accuracy or anything along those lines, and then maybe has more of an emphasis on some damage and the slow is only just a small fraction of what it does, would be much more balanced. And then taking all the freeze abilities and saying only supers can do this, I feel like that would go a long way to making sure that players are not as caught up constantly in stasis. Because if you're getting frozen by, say, a Warlock staff, uh, as in the standard melee, mm. that just feels bad. Because, I mean, I, I know how simple that is. You literally, at least on controller, just tap one button and you can potentially murder a super right then and there. Mm. Tap a button, pull out an energy weapon, boom, dead. But when you sit there and maybe have that only slowing a character, you have to work that into the rest of combat. And it's not just an easy win. If you want to turn around, hit that enemy with a staff, and it's not going to kill them, it's not going to freeze them, but it's going to slow them and maybe you can make an escape if you're fast enough, maybe. That, I think, is a sort of side to things that might have more players enthused. Mm. And if it's a super, I feel like that's an appropriate level of power to sit there and say, okay, these can freeze, you know? If you are in such a poor place that you get caught by the whirlwind tornado of the silence and squall, like, yeah, sure, maybe that should be allowed to freeze you. Or if it's just the warlock super and the big staff, so to speak, yeah, sure, like, let that freeze. Or if it's the behemoth and you get hit by the melee, or if you're left long enough inside their crystal zone, yeah, let yeah. those particular crystals actually freeze you instead yeah. of just slowing you. But with everything else, I feel like you've got a very clear point of saying, like, yeah, this stuff should not be able to freeze you. Just slow. It should not give you the chance. It should just slow, and yeah. it shouldn't be the kind of overpowered, aggressive slow that it is. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no, I can Absolutely. see that. That's, that's a very fair, very fair assessment. Like, only, you know, huge damage-dealing supers and, you know, tons of freeze should cause... Or, or tons of stasis stuff should cause freeze, but slow should be, if anything, slow should be just kind of the basic. It's still annoying, but less annoying, and the slow should maybe be less annoying, and, you know, you could be able to use abilities in it. But, um, yeah, I mean, the only only thing I can think of, possibly, and I'm not, not, not a developer, and I am very glad that I am not <laughs> for this reason. Um, the only thing I can think of is just, yeah, just a playlist without, I think that would be a very good move. Um, but it is just, you know, it is a little strange because it's probably it's probably an area that Bungie is receiving probably the most backlash and there are the most complaints and criticism and valid criticism. It's not all just, you know, yeah. needless whining. Like, it's very valid people, you know, from, from, from a lot of people that that are very uh, reasonable. Like, obviously, these people that love to complain, but there's a lot of people who have people like True Vanguard, who is very reasonable and very, you know, fair, very nice guy. He's not a toxic person. But he makes a lot of very valid points about just like, yeah, this just doesn't really work. And there's a lot of people who are making very valid points. And Bungie are being very quiet. Consider like they've been faster to react to things that are that have been much less of a deal. I'll put it that way, if that mm. makes sense. And for the, for the amount of constant backlash they're getting for Stasis since it launched, 
they haven't said a whole lot and even they've said now like um i saw one of the developers say like they they, they, they they've noted it seems a bit too strong they're working on dialing it back but it doesn't seem like they have the urgency that i think the community has it seems like bungie's like yeah we'll get to it we're, we're gonna tune it but the community's like no this is you need to do something now like this you right. need to do something yesterday last month back at like this is mm -hmm. bad yeah but and and worse than that too it's it's one of these things of the longer they leave it the more compounded the problem gets so i mean bleak watcher the warlock aspect that gives you stasis turrets is now disabled because it's one of these things that gave you a bug for infinite roaming super admittedly without any damage resistance but still roaming super and roaming stasis super so not great but that was an aspect that was added last season, and we just got three new ones, and people have only just started working with these and using them, but not only are they potentially a harvest for things like bugs that might eventually end up getting them disabled in the game, but also it's one of these really terrifying moments where you sit there and realize that there's going to be power creep with every single one of these that is going to be unforeseen and harder to balance with mm. every single iteration. Yep. So, I mean... It's not the most ridiculously overpowered one. I know that everyone's going to be mentioning the Hunter one because, you know, more terrifying grenades is scary. But when it comes down to something as simple as the Warlock one, that gives you a ton more melee energy in things like the Crucible. It's basically their equivalent of Grim Harvest on Hunter. Um, and that's actually way stronger than people realize because the Warlock melee is already a direct freeze. It's really strong. It mm. can counter a super if you get the timing right. So you've, you've got really powerful tools here, which admittedly feel great in PvE. Like, never remove As these always. things from PvE. Yeah. As always, it's really fantastic. But when you look at their impact on PvP, uh, it's, it's going to be even harder for everyone at Bungie to nerf those things appropriately down the line because the sandbox is expanding at such a rate that they can't possibly take it all into account yeah. given yeah. the player feedback from each of these. So yeah, exactly right. It, it, it's going to be real tough, you know? It's going to be a really hard one to even see what this looks like in a few years' time. Because, um, yeah, they're going to have to do a serious group of nerfs. I anticipate there'll be even more aspects coming to Stasis next season. Mm -hmm. I have a feeling that that's going to be one of the big selling points again because it's another Beyond Light season. And, you know, they appear to have done this with every season coming in. So, yeah, like, there's a lot going on. And I would not be surprised whatsoever if this becomes a problem that persists all the way into next season and potentially into witch queen and yeah that's man pvpers are having a rough time right now yeah that's uh yeah you can say that again yeah that, that's a very good point because um it's kind of like a couple steps forward a couple steps back i think it was i guess the beginning mm, of yeah. season of chosen where they did nerf when, when exactly did they do the big nerf to stasis beginning of season chosen uh i think so yeah yes yes so, so you did that season of chosen but then they also added like some um, fragments and aspects that <laughs> are powerful in other ways. Like you said, the stasis turret. It's like, yeah, we've nerfed stasis, but now here's a stasis turret. So it's like... Right. Here's that like, obnoxious titan melee that lets them instantly freeze people. So it's like they'll might nerf stasis in some ways and then they'll go and add some aspects, which just, again, and, and you got to have play testers and balances and make sure there's no bugs and things broken. Just the difference between bugs and things being overpowered. You got both of those risks. And you're adding these new um, aspects and it's like, I know it gets even more complicated for them to balance because they're trying to keep it balanced while also adding other things that are supposed to be powerful. And if they're adding aspects that aren't good, they're, well, they've got to make them powerful and useful in order for them to be worthwhile and obviously the development time that goes into making them. But then also they're, not, they're kind of just adding more fuel to the fire that is stasis 
which is just the just the main root of the root of the problem but yeah yeah as you said it's um is if we're going to keep on getting more aspects and fragments then it's probably gonna continue and i don't oh yeah and uh, <laughs> we've been talking about aspects so much fragments i'm not gonna go on this one for too long but yeah the new fragments mean that when you get your melee shards from all the different classes you can pull them into you by just being near them as though they're noble rounds and they can give you overshield uh, so That's yeah no, it's just it's, like <laughs> yeah it's it it doesn't end you know like there's there's so much it's just yeah it's endless yeah, it's a messy one. I feel for all the all the PvPers, but um, at the same time, I, I I do think it's become quite uh, quite painfully obvious that Bungie isn't intending for Crucible to be super competitive and balanced and serious. It's kind of meant to be a bit like Mario Kart. Just don't take it too seriously or competitively. You know, there's random, there's RNG, there's it's not massive RNG. There's just lots of skill imbalances and the skill gap, like. The skill ceiling in one aspect is really high because there are people that have been playing the game for seven years that just can do ridiculous things, especially mouse and keyboard, that can do ridiculous things that some new players would be like, how did he just jump over my head and just freeze me and just kill me in one shot? But then there's also there's also elements that are just, I don't know, it's, um, yeah, it's a messy one. I don't, every, every time I think about it, it's just like a, yeah, because... They're clearly not trying to make Crucible super balanced and super serious the way I think a lot mm -hmm. of people want to take it. And it's hard to kind of say, oh, just don't take Crucible so seriously because it does have a lot of potential. Like Destiny Crucible is still amazing. It's still a fantastic sandbox, but it's so full with so many things. It's just getting messy to the point where it's just like, there's just blue shells everywhere. And it's just kind of like, eh, you just kind of can't mm -hmm. really, you, you can't really take it seriously. I think I've seen that sentiment a lot. A lot of people are saying that just, yeah, you just can't, you can't take it too seriously because if you do, you're just kind of setting yourself up for disappointment because Bungie clearly doesn't want it to be, you know, PvP. I, I, I guess it, the benefit of this is that PvE is shining. PvE is in a very good spot. Um, oh, the mods, yeah. the builds, the abilities, as we always say, Stasis is amazing in PvE. But it, it does seem like, I guess in the past, PvE would suffer quite a lot at the expense of PvP, but now it's kind of the yeah. reverse. And now Bungie's like yeah, completely now they just like... It, it's a it's a weird one too because it suffers in reverse, but also they have shown that they can split the sandbox balancing mm -hmm. by keeping stasis powerful in PVE, but also having some target nerfs that only affect PVP. Yeah. So it's it's a it's a weird mix of the two, you know. Yeah. And we should also talk about the uh, the other major uh, backlash and drama going on with transmog Ooh. or transmogrification. Um, or mm. armor synthesis, <laughs> um, which has now been implemented. So obviously there was a Bungie announced it. Uh, pretty much the majority consensus was like, nah, this this ain't it. This doesn't seem like a good a good strategy. Um, surprisingly, I mean, honestly, I expected Bungie to kind of 180 and like raise the cap and make just just do something uh, to get a bit of good faith back. But Bungie held firm and like this is this is transmog and this is how it's launching. Um, but what are your what are your thoughts on Transmog, especially now that's in the game? How do you how, how do you feel about it and the the bounties, the grinding? What do you think about that? I have a horrible feeling that this is something that players are going to initially hate and then grow to slowly accept. But I feel as though the backlash thus far is at very least going to mean that the cap and maybe somewhat the speed at which you earn things is going to be somewhat changed in the future. Mm. 
This was not a good launch, and not a good look either for Bungie when it comes down to it, you know. Armor Synthesis had all the potential to be a really great simple system where you could just earn materials from the game and then go ahead and turn them into Ada 1 and then just create your transmogs. And credit to Bungie for giving us 10 free ones to start with, but that's not going to last forever, you know. Mm. I... I know 10 people at very least who immediately used all their 10 and then are like well i wanted to do all these other things here and i guess i'm going to use my class specific ones okay sure that's fine but then what about my other classes where i wanted to do 12 mm -hmm. things it's just this level of grind is kind of incredulous i mean to give you an at idea this point in destiny yeah yeah, and I think more egregious than anything as well is the fact that they've pulled what is effectively a really stunning move in terms of how poorly it was going to be received, which is that the, it's, it's the synth strand earn, strand earn rates, which is that it's mm. tied to time. Mm -hmm. You know, there is a two-minute um, cooldown on you earning a synth strand from a kill, and that means that you actually have to put a certain amount of time instead of just grinding out all of your stuff. That's not good. Mm. I mean, if people are going to go ahead and have a hefty play session, I feel like they should have their time respected in that sense, mm -hmm. because not everybody gets to play the game for 25 hours. It's it's one of these moments then where you'll sit there and the actual mathematics states that you will earn over 25 hours a full armor set. But that's 25 hours of playtime, and some people get to play the season barely any of that. Mm -hmm. And then it's not you do these 25 hours and it's immediately in your inventory. No, that's 25 hours to get a bounty. <laughs> yeah. And those bounties are sometimes hard. Yeah. I mean, you know, I, I sit there and I'm not going to struggle to kill 40 champions in Nightfalls, even on the, you know, the like harder versions of everything. In fact, it probably makes it go faster. But for some players who really do not play this game a lot, killing 40 champions is going to be a scary one. Getting you know, hundreds of thousands of points of score is going to be a lot. Doing a ton of things of Altars of Sorrow if you chose the World Bounty. Lord forbid if you chose the Gambit or Crucible ones. I, you know, Lord forbid if you chose the Raid ones, but you only get to raid once a week and it's a really quick raid that you did and you got the Orbs of Light one, but just made just a few, too mm. few Orbs of Light to actually get the bounty done. Mm. These are the things that are going to drive players mad. Mm. And I think that... Bungie needs to seriously reconsider how this grind works if it's actually going to take place. Yeah, it's great that we have a transmog system finally, but it's it it it's an ugly transmog system. Yeah, <laughs> like that that's the that's the that's the only way I can put it, and it's not kind to the devs, and I'm sorry about that. But yeah, this is this is not well, the good. thing is it's not, not even it's not even to the devs though. That's the thing because you know the developers like transmog as it is is a very good system. The armor synthesis, the way it works, the way the shaders, like the customization aspect, like the actual system is very good. They knocked it out of the park. Mm, yeah, the way it was implemented and the rules of how it works are not very good. But the thing is that those things weren't decided by just bungee devs and designers. These oh, were decided course, yeah. by leadership. The thing that a lot of people might not understand is that. These aren't decisions made by developers. This isn't like buffing or nerfing a pulse rifle and deciding oh, how much damage this should do or grenade or, you know, just nerfing something mm -hmm. in a lost sector. This is accounting. This is Bungie's bottom line. This is tens of millions, hundreds of millions of dollars. Like, and that's the only thing that I don't like is that how you can tell a lot of things in Destiny are very carefully calculated and micromanaged based on the dollar. And you can tell... 
like transmog as a whole i maybe i was naive but i expected it just to be more along the lines of a quality of life update just a cool feature of oh nice now i can customize my guardian the way that you kind of assume you always should have been able to since day one transmog has mm -hmm. literally been on the wish list since i remember seeing it in 2014 right transmog yeah. was always a thing of like can i wear a piece of armor that uh, has good stats and good perks and good attributes and make it look just cosmetically make it look like something else so i can look how i want and also have the power and feel how i want that's the that's the goal of transmog yeah. but bungie's been obviously teetering on it for like seven years and then to finally get it in the game after all this time and have it so riddled with eververse and microtransactions is just I think it's in bad taste, and yeah. I think um, I did expect them to at least repeal it back a bit, but they're holding very strong. But again, this is something that's this is to do with accounting, and this isn't this is these decisions aren't up to developers at at the level of people designing these things. These are leadership decisions of like I guarantee there are some whiteboards and spreadsheets somewhere in Bungie where they would have calculated that they've none of these things are mistakes. They have calculated this piece of synth strand equates to this many hours equates to this many dollars and they've basically just equilibriumed it to okay we want to hit this dollar amount and that equals this level of grind and it's all very carefully carefully calculated and these aren't things that are just going to be like okay we'll just like you know remove this and we'll just raise the caps because do, as much as i want them to do by the way these are things that would literally just wipe out probably i don't know tens of millions of dollars like they make massive massive money but uh, mm -hmm. yeah, I just I I just always envisioned it being again maybe I'm naive, but I always envisioned it being more of just a quality of life, making the game better, kind of like crossplay. But it's almost like getting crossplay, but they're like, oh, you can crossplay three times a week, and then after that, you got to pay for it. It's just like, huh? Like what? I thought this is just gonna be. Yeah. I can just. I mean, I I understand the elements of um of Eververse being in there. Like I understand it can't be completely free, but it just seemed too way too heavily involved with eververse and it yeah. seems like even even the little things like how they're tied per class like what if i only oh, play yeah. on hunter mm. and i want to use all of my transmog materials on my hunter but now i've got all these wasted materials on the warlock and titan the fact that like, that that kind mm, of right. that doesn't sit right with me just the way they've split it because a lot of a lot of people don't play three characters like i'd love to see the yeah, percentage absolutely. of people most people just play one so to, to have half of your two-thirds of your transmog materials on these other characters that you probably don't use and your alts you don't really care about their appearance that much most people have their one character their main they play on which they care about and they want to have those visual appearances so you should be able to stack them on the main character you play on but it, should, it, it seems like there's it seems like they spend almost longer figuring out how to monetize it than how to just implement it and it seems like kind of mm. is this why it took this long to get it because it's like it took you this long to figure out how to count every penny and make sure everything is just like making the most money possible it's um there's i don't know there's a lot of things that i can see why it received the amount of backlash that it did because there's a lot of just a lot of things that don't sit right i think right i think and i i hate that i'm even doing anything close to playing devil's advocate here but i think there is a side to which again this could be resolved by some good communication sides of things mm. and the reason i say that is this when you sit down and look at something like, say, Whisper having ornaments sold for it after the mission was complete, mm. there was some amount of backlash for that. Most of it was actually not too bad because people sat there were like, yeah, 
Whisper was a great mission. I'm happy to go ahead and buy yeah, this and new was free. ornament for my powerful gun. You know, the Whisper of the Worm mission was free. Mm. These ornaments, you know, this is the equivalent of tipping the dev. Yeah, exactly. Those Whisper ornaments supposedly were bought enough to the point where they were able to fund the creation of Zero Hour. And that's one of those points at which Bungie literally sat there and told us the exact you know, the, the exact nature of what our microtransactions had bought. And that, I think, is a really effective way of justifying it, is by telling us, you know, this is effectively what your content helped fund. Mm. In some kind of... I do not anticipate this would be the case, because there's no way a studio goes into the depth of the financials like this. But if they at very least stated, hey, with this we were able to hire new developers and a new team that was able to work on enhancing these parts of the game, and as a result, you now have little heroic raids and heroic dungeons, or whatever they may be, or master is the term they use now. But yeah, you now have master dungeons and master raids, and we were able to create these new pieces of content in these expansions and these seasons. If that's the case, I think that you have the ability to sit there and say like, hey, we know this is expensive, but we do it for the sake of justifying the creation here. And this is the thing that I think gives Bungie a huge advantage. You know that in a company like Activision Blizzard, those things would be going straight to shareholders. You know, like there is, they, they are looking for a minimum viable product in that particular sense on the pure basis of the fact that theirs is not something which is about the passion of making a game, but is instead a financial statement. And undoubtedly, you know, Bungie has a certain degree to which people are going to sit there and try to make their dime. They're going to try and make money. But I think that the potential justification could be we sat there and we used this money to expand the company. And mm. it is not outside of the question of development time being, you know, increased by having more devs hired because of these things making money. So, I mean, you know, it's, it's one of these very interesting moments where suddenly we have a question being asked of is there a thing that we get in return for this and if Bungie somehow communicated that this was a thing that we got maybe the community would see it and would think yeah you know what that's worth the price mm. of it I get it but that is a huge hypothetical and it's definitely playing devil's advocate and it's definitely one of those things of you have to sit there and, as a consumer, wonder what the true price of that is. And I think we can kind of already see a version of this in the game. Season of the Chosen had a huge amount of content in it, you know? Massive seasonal story stuff, tons of cutscenes and great moments in that. A new strike, you had tons of new weapons, you had the battlegrounds, which in themselves are like miniature strikes. You had Presage and the three versions of it, with fantastic new exotics, new stasis aspects that you were also paying for. And all of that was ten bucks, and it effectively provided three months worth of content. Mm. And you know, that's a lot of value for ten bucks. Uh, yeah, it, it seems as though if you take that and compare that to an old Destiny 1 DLC, Definitely. the value proposition doesn't even stand up with Way Destiny Way more than 1. like Dark Below or most of yeah, those and, early expansions. And, and keep in mind, Dark Below had a raid, mm. you know? But the raid was almost it for the expansion. Mm. It entertained you for maybe a few weeks and then hard mode came out and a few weeks beyond that, sure. But then we had the content drought, and suddenly that $10 didn't look like it had bought us so much, and we were like, well, we also have uh, a strike and um, some Crucible maps. 
but that one strike was a Destiny 1 strike that had no real story build up to it with most of the things and also was kind of just another big damage sponge in the form of Omnigal back in Hiroji iteration and it's not a great story that aligns with all of that either and uh, you start to take a look and see that yeah the grass really is greener on this side of the fence and it's like okay as opposed to having this be the culmination of the story Omnigal is the tacked on villain that you have to face as part of this which yeah I don't know like there are real night and day differences with all of this stuff it's just yeah I I don't know man like the value proposition is there I think yeah. But you need to justify it for players. And right now, there is no easy way of them justifying transmog. Yeah, I mean, like, you talk about the $10 price tag. Isn't that the price of a full armor set with synthesis? Is it, it $10? Is indeed. It set? is indeed $10. So, so you look at things like that, like, it, mm -hmm. do, you think, <laughs> do you think getting the ornaments for two sets of armor is worth half of the price of Beyond Light right. at $40. And that's why this has got to be such a big proposition of value so to players. It's just weird. Right? Mm. You've, got, you've got to go ahead and make that argument with something huge. Otherwise, it just is not going to hold water. But know? at the same time, the, the market dictates the price. So mm. the fact that people are willing to pay this much money and have always been willing to pay this much for microtransactions, there was what the the rise of I, the iron iron, the iron banner, banner emote. emote that was what ten dollars wasn't it that that caused quite a big controversy mm -hmm. back in the day yeah. that was like what year two or year one mm -hmm. the and there are, two? yeah and there are still things like finishes and emotes that are more expensive than uh, armor synthesis yeah. synth strand in the uh, in the Eververse store right now. And so it's this thing of, like, we we will have this outrage, it will be here, but I have no doubt that, like most things, when it comes to a live service game like this, eventually, it's gonna die down. And that's really quite unfortunate in this instance, because I feel like this is actually, you know, in the instance of, say, the finishers or something like, say, a, you know, who really cares about, say, a ghost hologram above it. I don't even know what they're called because they're... Just, who projections. Uses, yeah, projections. Who uses a projection? Who really <laughs> is going to sit there and be like, three bucks for a projection? Nice. Yeah. You know, it's... But armor is a very are. different thing. And that's the thing, I, like, because people are willing to pay that much, Bungie can charge that much, but it does throw just the value into such a weird spot because you just wonder, like, is, you know, four armor sets worth, especially when you look at development hours... Is four armor sets Ooh. worth the equivalent of Beyond Light, the entire story and the scripting and the narrative and the music and the voice actors and the, just everything that goes into right. making expansion? And I, it, it, it makes the value a bit weird because you look at you just look at content like that and you think like, and I'm sure this is exactly what Bungie and most game developers would think like, okay, we can sit down and spend nine months making a whole expansion or we could get one developer to make an emote or a skin in maybe a couple hours, maybe a couple days, and probably make similar amounts of money. And I think also a lot of, you know, obviously Bungie isn't a publicly traded company. They're a private private traded company, so, um, or a private company. So we can't see their balance sheets. We don't know. We don't have um, earnings calls like with Activision mm -hmm. Blizzard. They're a publicly traded company. They're in the S&P 500. And um, they they turn over, they, they have their um, earnings calls where they say this is how much we made. We made... 10 billion off of microtransactions, which which shows you just how much it makes. Even I think I remember um, uh, it was recently announced that um, 
Uh, what is it? It was, I think the FA or FA, yeah, I can't remember the companies, but the FA made more money off of EA's microtransactions than their real life sports. Only because it was 2020 and I'm sure oh, ticket okay, sales yeah. were down, but still goes to show they're making more money from FIFA video game microtransactions than the entire of the real football league going on in real life and all the money. Again, it was diminished because of the 2020, but like they're making more money off of microtransactions than real life football or soccer. Mm -hmm. But like it's it, it goes to show just the value in. And I think it's one of those things the genie's out of the ball. Everyone knows that microtransactions are the way forward. And, and, and like, you know, we witnessed it firsthand. I remember in, it was around... 2014 was the year that it really changed a lot with Advanced, Call of Duty Advanced Warfare. And that was when microtransactions Ooh, started to yeah. come about a lot. And that was when we started to kind of realize, and we thought it was just like this random thing, like why are they doing this? But now we're starting to understand, you know, these developers, not, not calling them lazy, but they can make more money just making skins of stuff than making, spending half a year to a year on full-size expansions and content. And... I think it's also very important to note that Bungie definitely makes a lot, much like, much like most companies, at this point, especially with the game being free to play, um, they're making more money off of Eververse and microtransactions than expansions. At this point, like, expansions is just kind of like probably their lost leader, which they're just doing just for the just for the sake of content and for the sake of having a good game. But really on the back end, they're making tons of money. They're making like just so much money off of these skins, again, because people are willing to pay for them. But it just, it, it, it really just makes things look strange when you compare the price of Transmog to the price of full-scale expansions. And yeah. um, obviously, again, like, I'm not trying to say that Bungie, this, like, money, money-grubbing company just trying to just nickel and dime all their customers. But um, at the same time, obviously, they, they need to make money. And Bungie aren't making, they, they aren't selling big $60 games every year. So they do need to make money. And, you know, maybe if they explain, not they would need to, but if they, if, they explained like, ah, oh, this is actually very important funding for the studio and this is also going towards our next game and the money that we're using from this is pretty much essential to run the studio. Without this, the studio, we wouldn't be able to make the games that you want. So I'm sure there's an element of that. You know, they're not just all pocketing all this cash. The money does go to the studio and they spend that on game development. But from the customer side of, uh, customer side of things, it, it seems like there's a massive imbalance between what we're paying for mm -hmm. and the value of things and... Just Transmog as a whole just kind of reignited the it was it, it was a big reminder of of just the kind of the issues with uh microtransactions and the value and yeah it's a very weird one especially when you compare just the prices of things and <laughs> what we're actually getting in return and again because Transmog has just been a thing on the wish list people assumed it would be just you know maybe some eververse in there but not to this extent and Tr truth be told even aside from that like what kind of what, what annoys me even more than the uh eververse elements is even just the uh the in-game elements of the grinding system the synth weave and synth strand and synth cord why do we have so many currencies please can we stop with the currencies like that's right. almost more egregious to me it's just like deliberately making such a grindy boring bounty objective based path or you just pay simple money. And it's just like a very simple, like no one wants to go through all the grinding and boring nightfalls, mm. as you mentioned, to get those bounties and do all that stuff. When you can just pay five bucks and get an armor set or 10 bucks. And it's just like, 
it just well like we don't need more currencies and what was what like, what, what is the what is the difference between like what, what what's the law behind synth strand synth core and synth weave like what's the difference it's just like you you know it was just the developer just sat there and was just like we need three currencies to so you can trade this and you get bounties for this and you buy it with this and you turn this into this and it's just like okay synth strand and synth chords it's just like they're just made up words like, let's be honest mm. they're not like meaningful terms so it's just yeah there's a lot of a, a lot of things that seem to miss the mark on this but bungie's been very very silent on it they just said we heard your feedback and have they said anything since they haven't really have they i don't i <laughs> i don't know man i it's yeah you you are completely hitting the nail on the head there with the fact that they have been very silent on the matter you know stasis and the whole calls for it to be nerfed have received a ton of attention mm. but when it comes down to that compared to say the amount of attention that has been received by the synth strand and transmorg sucks kind of side of things yeah you know one looks like a mountain the other doesn't even look like a molehill mm. so yeah not good yeah, it's definitely been a um, a very hot button topic, but I mean, I I think it would be weird if they were to just lower the um, lower the cap to make it cheaper now, especially after like I think that would be the weirdest thing of all to launch it being this certain price and then to later make it cheaper. Like if I'm like if I spent this much money on these R materials and then it then gets lowered like a month or two or season later, that would not make me feel good about my. I mean, just... here's the thing. I, I don't anticipate they'll lower the price of things. I think if they'll do any adjustments, it's going to be the case of, okay, we'll raise the cap of the amount you can earn for free, and we'll make right. sure that you can earn them a little bit faster. You know, they'll raise it from 10 to 15 or 20. They'll make it so that, you know, instead of a two-minute timer, you can earn Synth Strand, uh, you know, at a set rate, which, you know, if you really farm things out, it's going to be faster, yes you're going to have this moment of like, okay, cool, the bounties are less grindy on that other end, but it's still going to be one of those things of they may have made... I, I hate to say it because it's, it's kind of cynical, but they may have made the calculations beforehand and said, if there's huge backlash, this is the system we revert to. And it I'm still sure. keeps the same prices. And you know, like, at the end of the day, if that is the case, I mean... It, maybe that's just my cynical gamer brain sitting there and being too used to companies doing this, but I mean... You know, that's 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 very poor form at that particular thing. You know, like it's 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 the contract negotiating thing. You know, you'll throw ridiculous clauses into a contract only to have them be part of the negotiations later when you draw mm. them back off the table. And you know, I uh, I feel as though when it comes down to it, Bungie needs to seriously take a look at respecting players' time. And mm. uh, if they're going to go ahead and make changes to the system, they have to do that with that in mind. And yeah, that's it's unfortunate that this is even the case because, like, yeah, I mean, there's other stuff in this season that's really good, and I can't stop singing the praises of it enough. But yeah, this uh, this side of Transmorg and all the synthesis is just not good. It's really not yeah, a good look. It didn't leave a good taste in many players' mouths. It was, um, I think, just just mainly because it's because it mainly affects the whales and the most hardcore of players i think that's what's strange about it is because normally bungie might implement something that the hardcore might disagree with but it isn't really to do with them it's something that would affect more of the casual player base but this is something that is literally yeah. the opposite and like you want to appease the hardcore because the hardcore players and the people that really we talked about in the last episode about um the people that really care about the their fashion um, those are hardcore players that are really going to be invested. Those are not the players you want to sting. 
but mm -hmm. yeah. the casual player probably doesn't even know or care that much about transmog so it's a it's, it's a weird one where it's something where it kind of disproportionately affects people that are the most invested in the game i think they're the ones that are going to care the most whereas the casual players probably won't even notice or care they, they'll probably just only want to um only want to ornament maybe one set of armor but it kind right. of it affects the players that are most likely to spend the money is what i'm trying to say yeah. so that just seems a bit odd that those are the players that you'd want to appease and to make happy but yeah absolutely and i mean when it does come down to those few players who are well, i say few players those players who aren't deep into the end game and aren't completely and utterly hooked and maybe go ahead and play a few weeks each season they're going to sit there and they're going to look at the 20 free materials for their played class that they've got and they're going to be like cool i got these and if ever i want to try a titan or a warlock let's say they're a hunter i got 10 to try over there but i mean maybe i'll do that one day but not really for the moment mm. i have so much even to spare like i can do my second and third favorite cloaks on this this is great mm. like that's uh, you know and that's the reality of what it's going to end up being it's just this case of like hey when you're looking at all this you're going to actually see that the core players as you say are the ones getting bitten by this because mm. i have like seven different looks for my warlock i have a lot of warlock drip you know like i got i got, I got that stuff rolling out my ears but like <laughs> you, got, <laughs> you, you know now i gotta fight with this synth strand system and like i i've done most of it and it's 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 mostly okay but like god damn it <laughs> <laughs> I admit I have hardly spent any materials because I I want to be 100% certain I don't want to waste them. Which I'm sure a lot of people mm, are also doing. Right? But I am oh like, oh my god, yeah. It's 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 a big choice because these this is it's, it's, it's a grand a grander pop. So it's just like you better choose wisely. I don't want to take out a mortgage trying to trying to customize my guardian, but yeah, you right. gotta choose wisely. And you don't want to waste those materials because they're very very valuable. This armor set for the low low price of 9.99, you know, like. <laughs> Uh, yeah, yeah, it's um, maybe maybe not the best timing, but let's hope that let's hope that maybe they, I guess, raise the cap and make it slightly easier to get, as you suggested. I think that's uh, pretty much along the lines of what I think most people would like to see. Mm. But other than that, I mean, will you say something? Yeah, I was going to say, do we want to talk very briefly about um, something which I think, at very least, everyone is much more. Uh, happy about and content about is how great the freaking new guns this season are. Mm, the loot, yeah. The loot has been freaking fantastic mm. this season. Like, oh my goodness. It's getting I, better. I, I, like, Chosen was very yeah. good, and this one seems like, you know, it seems like they're raising the bar on the loot, and again, it means so much more now that Sunsetting is gone, as amazing as that is, because it just like, like now, like now when I play the game, I feel like it's you know, I feel like my loot isn't going to be disappearing. Like every season when you log on, it'll be like, okay, what's what's gone now? What's got the white stamp of death? What's now useless? What do I have to delete? But Ugh. now it's like, yeah. okay, cool. I can I can just chill. I can grind for loot and it's meaningful and it's going to be here forever. The little infinite symbol is just so satisfying to see because it's like, mm. I can grind yes. loot and it's not just going to disappear because it, yeah, it was just very, very, very annoying. Every season it's like, what's going to disappear next season? But it, the loot feels so much more meaningful and there's a lot more incentive to grind, which is, which is, can't can't sing enough praises. I mean, obviously, you know, mm. probably shouldn't have been in there in the first place. But it is amazing that the loot system seems a lot more just meaningful now that you can yeah. keep stuff forever. And the nice thing is that there's lots of. It's got so many different tiers to it, right? So, like at current, I'm chasing a grenade launcher called Empty Vessel from Strikes, and I know that like that's that's a long term chase. There's not always a huge chance that it drops every single strike, and it could drop alongside all the other strike specific weapons. So if I'm doing a nightfall 
as like the three player, not adept, but I think it's a hero version of it. You know, I could also get, say, whatever the weekly Nightfall weapon is. This week it was Plug One, next week it could be uh, Hung Jury. But I could also get it alongside all these other weapons, like Royal Entry, which if I get a roll of that, that's great. But the cool thing is, while I'm doing that, I'm also earning Ether. And when my Splicer Gauntlet is full of Ether, I can turn that into Keys. I can fill it with Ether one more time. And then I can go ahead and do a targeted farm in uh, all the stuff that's going on with Override. And I can go ahead and grab a whole bunch of different stuff from there, which is from the new seasonal loot pool. And that stuff is a lot more easy to farm, not just because mm. you're guaranteed to get one from every chest pool, but also because of the fact that the perk pools on those are much more narrow. They're much more selective mm. instead of Empty Vessel or Royal Entry, which have something like 12 perks in columns three and four. And so, you know, you're much more likely to get a good weapon from all of that. Mm. And baked under all of that are the weapons that have been added into the loot pool this season um, in the world pool. So, I mean, whether it's stuff that was added in from last season thanks to Season of the Chosen, or whether it's things that have been around for quite some time, such as the Seraph weapons from Warmind, or whether it's the God Roll Truth Teller that I finally got to drop for me that I'd been hunting for for ages, that's all there. And then you also have to consider exotics, primes, and Umbral Engrams, all three of which are a different reward system that flows through any part of the game that you play. So in the case of like farming for one weapon, if you're really going full in, you can also accumulate a ton of other great loot and do so for the most part by doing what activities you want, with the exception of those specific playlist weapons, which in themselves, you know, they can be farmed alongside a lot of other stuff. And it makes a lot of these play sessions feel very rewarding, mm. you know? I've seen so many people come out of, say, um, a great session where they've done a bunch of keys in Override. And they may not have the perfect Chroma Rush yet, but they've got a damn near good one, you know? It may not have both Heating Up and Rampage, but it has Rampage and, say, Tunnel Vision. And they're experimenting with new perks that feel really good. And they've got this ability to suddenly experiment with new weapons like that. And that's another thing. New perks. Like, they have mm. great new perks this mm -hmm. season. Like, it, it's not exactly something that I think everybody was immediately tuned in with, but I think one of the longest uh, longest arguments that have existed about uh, Bungie and game design and one of the biggest lacks of faith, especially at the beginning of Destiny 2, was I don't trust Bungie to come up with inventive perks anymore. Mm. And then slowly mm -hmm. we started, you know, seeing stuff get added into the sandbox. And by this point in time, you know, you've got things like Frenzy, which was added last season, which is completely ridiculous. They mm -hmm. added back things like Reservoir Burst. They have Heating Up and Tunnel Vision and Adrenaline Junkie this season. And a whole load of other perks, which I'm not going to mention just yet because they appear on raid weapons in Vault of Glass that I happen to have seen because, I mean, some spoilers are out there on the internet. But, you know, like, there are great combinations of things that you can do mm. um, with all these new weapons. It's really exciting to see them come back. Yeah, I but, think yeah. that can't be understated as well. Like, the the seasons do a good job of just peppering in slight bits of new content among everything. Like, you've got the aspects, you've got a couple of new exotics, you've got new perks, which is very important because, again, like... Back in our day, they you didn't get new perks very often, and they weren't very mm -hmm. good. But now we're actually we're getting almost more perks than I can keep track of, and they're very often, and they do a lot of new things. And as you said, like they're they because because the game had so many perks, it was kind of difficult to them to come up with ones that were unique and almost worthwhile. But they're doing a pretty good job of coming up with just unique and interesting ones that aren't just so cookie cutter and aren't just you know increase reload speed, increase damage. 
Um, they're actually yeah. coming up with perks that are more interesting, and, and that does a lot to just a lot to just make the new loot more valuable because that's always been a problem as well. They add just new guns. It's like, okay, cool, this is an auto rifle, but what does it do that my other 27 auto rifles don't do? But it's like, oh, this one's new. It come, it can roll with this perk. So it just gives you more incentive to actually grind it. But the the loot system in general in this, the loot, um, the loot loop uh, in this season is, I, I like it a lot. It seems just a, a good bit best than last season, especially like the um, the Gauntlet. The convoluted hammer charges system, yeah, which was I like, didn't like that at all. do a thing to get a thing to charge a thing to yeah. charge an umbral? You an umbral like, seemed like, very you know, you pointless last season. They seemed very just like, I don't know, just seemed a bit kind of, they're there. And especially... Um, focusing them that never really like it, it seems yeah. just the whole thing mm. of like cabal gold and then doing the battlegrounds and then getting charges and then, and then umbrals and then using the charges to, it's just so confusing to wrap your head around again i've no idea how new players would understand that kind of stuff but yeah the, the like the splicer mm. gauntlet it, the perks on it are so much better than the hammer last time like i feel like the perks on the hammer last time just seems so just kind of random and a Meh. bit kind of they don't really affect gameplay much they were just kind of like increase your cabal gold increase your charges and like a chance of piecing up a piece of armor when you break they don't really seem that like you know noticeable mm. whereas this time it seems kind of like um kind of reminds me of season of arrivals and what was the season season of the worthy where the perks actually mm. they affect the seasonal activity being override and like the the walls do less damage you get extra loot like it just seems like the perks are more they just are more noticeable and they do more things they kind of make life a bit easier, which I like to see. So the perks are a lot more meaningful yeah. this time around, which I like. And I like Override a lot. And just, yeah, just the just the, the gameplay loop seems a lot more interesting. And again, with the new perks and the, the lack of sunsetting, it seems a lot more meaningful. So the loop gets a, gets a thumbs up from me. Absolutely. And I, uh, I think as well, there's another thing to the focusing side of everything, which I think is greatly improved, which is that there's a system here which works for... Uh, players universally. If you're a player that does not have a lot of time to play, you're going to be using your decrypted data predominantly on focusing umbral engrams. And that's fine. You don't really need to worry about upgrading your splicer gauntlet because you're not playing so much that you would actually get the benefits of anything. You know, you're not getting to that point where you're doing tons and tons and tons of completions every single time. So you don't need to worry about things like Code Strider. You don't need to worry about all the damage debuffs. Like, you're not playing enough for that to truly affect you. You're not even playing enough to get enough ether to expand all your slots because you're not doing nightfalls back to back and getting all this ether from all the kills and the completions. Instead, you can go ahead and focus on using those resources to something that is immediately going to be useful to you. But if you are a hardcore player and if you have got all the gauntlet upgrades, you will then have the expanded pool of resources that allows you to then go ahead and then focus and target farm things more effectively. And what's even mm. cooler about the system is that if you're sitting there and you're looking at how you earn your decrypted data, you earn it by going through and doing the same activity that has a chance to drop those weapons. So your time is not being wasted on an activity that is not going to help you advance towards those things. If you're looking for your perfect Sojourner's Tale, that new shotgun that's come along, you might get it just dropping from the chest at the end. And then that's been really worth your time, because then you can think about what you want to earn next with your decrypted data, which you could then focus, which you'll also get from that same chest. Mm. You know, it's, it's one of these systems where it seems as though it's a bit odd at first, but actually I think that there is a lot of strength to it. I think it works out. Mm. Yes, yeah, so I think it's... Um... 
again, very similar to most seasons. I think the, I mean, obviously early days still, but overall story, very good. The narrative, very good. Um, the, the loot pool, the gameplay loop seems improved. Again, it's not perfect. It might not be to everyone's taste. It is, you know, still more grinding. It is still involving a lot of the core activities, you know, your, your gambit and uh, crucible and strikes. But I think as seasons go, I think it's, Again, it's early days, but I, I, I like it slightly more than um, Season of Chosen, which I already liked quite a lot. Um, and especially compared to like Season of the Hunt, like it really shows the difference between oh, yeah. like seasons that launch alongside expansions are almost just like kind of just there. Like Season of the Hunt really didn't have that much compared to obviously Beyond right. Light. But then once Beyond Light is gone, like Season of the Chosen, like quite a good bit of content and story and then season of the splicer even more so hope this trend continues and we get just like the seasons are pretty good again they're not they're not massive expansions they might not be enough to bring some players back um but i think for what they are and especially perspective comparing it to how expansions used to be the seasons we're getting now i would say are better than ex than small expansions we used to get back in the day obviously the difference Easily is better. the core Easily game better. is old so the kind of the baseline might not be as fresh for a lot of people, but the new content we're getting and the new perks, new exotics, the aspects, the um, all of the just the seasonal stuff, the story, the cutscenes, the lore, the open cutscenes, the characters. We're getting a lot more per season than we used to in uh, small expansions. Um, so yeah, I think it's a uh, pretty good as far as as far as seasons are concerned. Mm, absolutely. Um, but yeah, as we said, there's, uh, there's positives and negatives. I think we're pretty fair. I'd like to think, you know, the story is good. The loot is good. There are things that aren't so good, like Crucible, which is definitely lacking, which we're going to say as it is, and things like Transmog, which are definitely not, uh, not been received too well. But overall, it's a mixed bag. But, um, obviously let us know what you're thinking. And, um, I think that'll probably do it for this episode. Um, I do want to say a special thanks to everyone who's just been supporting uh, in general. So I was reading the comments of the last episode and just tons of support. Just so much. It was just like unbelievable. Just so many people just really enjoying the show. So it doesn't go um, unappreciated. Really appreciate you guys. Anyone who left a comment. I've read all the comments and I see you. Um, it's appreciated. And everyone who always tweets me asking for new episodes and finds me on Instagram and sends me messages asking when the new episodes are out. Always <laughs> appreciate. Um, obviously, podcast is very different to a video. So I appreciate the amount of support you guys have on the show and obviously i can't take full credit it's uh it takes two to have a conversation so really glad you guys enjoy the show i think we're going to try and get a lot more out for you guys as well um as well as videos as well i'm definitely not stopping with videos i want to have videos alongside the podcast but um i definitely enjoy doing these and i want to say appreciate all the support on the episodes you guys have been uh, leaving but um yeah i think that's going to do it for this episode we have or do we have the clips channel you can check that out if you want to see small bite-sized clips I think you can leave a five-star rating on Apple iTunes. One day I'll get it right. <laughs> um, Apple iTunes and on Spotify as well, wherever you like to listen or watch. But um, yeah, I appreciate you guys for watching and or listening. And we will see you in the next episode. Thank you very much. Bye for joining us. My pleasure as always. And yeah, take care.